This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. So, a disappointing ice pick for me yesterday because I thought Montreal would cover the goal and a half against Ottawa. I was looking pretty good when uh, Toffoli scored midway through the third period to give the Canadians a 4-3 to three lead. I'm like, all right, just hold on here, get an empty netter, and I cover it. But then shortly thereafter... Uh, Ottawa ties the game. Uh, there's a controversial goal taken away from Gallagher at the end of regulation, which I don't get. And it's just so frustrating now when you talk about goaltender interference and how it's really in the eye of the beholder. But it's so difficult to determine what's going to count and what's not going to count. So that took the game-winning goal off the board. They end up losing in the shootout. And Claude Julien is now out of a job. And please forgive me if I'm mispronouncing Dominique Duchamay is now the interim head coach. Now, from what I can gather, it was a miscommunication kind of thing that didn't seem like everybody was on the same page there in Montreal. That I cannot speak to. I don't know the inner workings of the Canadians. But I can tell you this, if it was about expectations, I don't know where you get that from, all right? Montreal did have a surprise entering the playoffs through the qualifying round last year. And apparently expectations were very high going into this year, and they got off to a tremendous start. But I never looked at the Canadians as a championship-caliber team. I thought they overachieved earlier in the year because they were getting tremendous performances from Toffoli and tremendous performances from Petrie that you just wonder, was that going to hold up? And now it hasn't. And now the team uh, is really struggled. The goaltending has not been as consistent. And I guess it's embarrassing to lose back-to-back games in overtime in the shootout to Ottawa. That's the worst team in the league. But has anybody paid attention? The Senators are actually playing better. You know, the Sabres and the Senators, the two teams that look like the also-rans, if you take a look at them lately, they've actually started to play better as the season has gone on. This Ottawa team is not a playoff team by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a team that you should look at as a patsy that should be a free two points. And really, Montreal could be just actually satisfied in some ways that they got a couple of points out of those two losses against Ottawa. So I, I, Montreal's always had a very high opinion of themselves. And you know, uh, Bergevin is somebody that really you could say should be on the hot seat as well. How many more coaches is he going to go through? Um, how many draft picks are not going to pan out? Uh, before you start to wonder, is he the right general manager for this team? But Claude Julien is gone. He's a Stanley Cup caliber coach. We know that. He's won a Stanley Cup. Bounced around to a couple of different teams. His second stint here with Montreal. Kirk Muller is also gone. Uh, Wait, their goaltending coach, is also gone. Luke Richardson. So they kind of wiped a lot of things out here. And we'll see if this does anything uh, for the Montreal Canadiens in what is a very wide-open division outside of Toronto that looks like they're going to run away with it. Still think Montreal can make the playoffs. But I'm just a little dubious when I hear not living up to expectations when I kind of look at this Montreal team and I say this is kind of where they're supposed to be right Carey Price is a great goaltender but you know yeah he's getting older now and that was a bad goal that he gave up on that 4-4 goal Uh, Druin is somebody that you know tries to get on the ice has kind of underachieved since that trade with Tampa is that necessarily Claude Julien's fault I guess we can always talk ourselves in circles on whether a coach deserves to be fired or not But when I hear not living up to expectations, what exactly were your expectations? 
uh, going into this thing. I wish we had some more information on Panarin. He's not going to go tonight when the Rangers are in Philadelphia to take on the Flyers. I thought Larry Brooks had a great article in the Post today kind of answering questions. How does it affect the salary cap? Will he be put um, on injured reserve or put on the taxi squad? Um, no, it will not affect the salary cap. And no, he is still going to be on the roster. He also dispelled a rumor that it's going to be a two-week absence. Um, it's just going to be a day-to-day situation. And the the story in Russia is beginning to fall apart. Three players that were on that team 10 years ago have already come forward to say they don't know what the coach is talking about. But the damage has been done as far as irritating Panarin and just causing a stir. It's apparently all anybody can talk about in Russia. And what it really comes down to is, according to Larry Brooks, is if you're pro-Putin, you believe the story. If you're anti-Putin, you don't believe it. So it's become a political football, really. And uh, our Tammy Panarin's caught in the middle of this thing. So you feel terrible about it. Um, the story has a bunch of holes in it, but it doesn't make it any easier for Panarin to have to deal with this. And from a pure hockey standpoint, it puts the Rangers in a very difficult spot because, let's face it, you know the Rangers cannot afford to lose clearly their best player. And as long as Abanajad continues to struggle, and, Panarin, and he did have a goal in the victory over Washington, although it did come in an empty net. So the last two points that Zabanajad has produced for the Rangers have both come on empty netters with an assist and a goal. As long as he continues to struggle and Panarin out of the lineup, you know, it falls on uh, you know guys like Kreider and Bushnevich to pick up the slack, and that's a lot to ask those players right now. So it puts the Rangers in a difficult spot. Rangers will be in Philadelphia to take on the Flyers, as I mentioned, as the Rangers are looking for a three game winning streak Uh, hurricanes and the lightning tampa did a great job bouncing back from that four nothing washout to carolina to double the hurricanes up um uh, the other day on monday so that's going to be a repeat that's a five o'clock game by the way so you get a little afternoon hockey same for the stars and the panthers in florida as the panthers just continue to impress at 12 three and two and the dallas stars just trying to get their footing just trying to play i mean between not being able to start the season because of covid having to deal with all the situation that's going on there in dallas weather-wise it's really just a crazy crazy thing happening at seven o'clock tonight the flames and the maple leafs from toronto last two times last time these two teams played it was a shutout for the flames so matthews now 18 goals in 19 games so we're kind of keeping it on that 50 in 50 toronto's just been amazing at 14 4 and 2 and you know really you don't know what you're getting from the flames night in and night out and their record really shows that at 9 9 and 1 also uh, nine o'clock tonight the wild and the avalanche from colorado and at nine the avalanche uh, excuse me the um Coyotes and the Ducks, and at 9.30 tonight, it's the Kings and the St. Louis Blues. There'll be a doubleheader on NBC Sportsnet with a 7 o'clock start for the Rangers and the Flyers, followed by the second game of the doubleheader between the Kings and the Blues. And and it was amazing to me, Lake Tahoe, and it's so easy to kind of criticize. We talked about this on Monday, that the games got moved tonight. We saw nine hours between goals um, in the uh, first game on Saturday because of the delay, because of the sun and all that. But the ratings were amazing. I don't know if anybody saw this, but the game between the Flyers and the Bruins drew over a million fans and that's the first time that the NHL has had over a million viewers for a cable broadcast in the regular season since a game on ESPN in 2002, if you can believe that. So it's been almost uh, two decades, and it's the highest rating, obviously, that NBC Sportsnet ever got. And you know, it was a game that was competitive until we got to the third period. 
But, hey, it just great job by the NHL trying to be creative, thinking of something that was aesthetically pleasing to the fans. You get two very popular teams in Philadelphia and Boston. You get a competitive game for 40 minutes, and it's so easy to say, oh, well, well what does it mean? You know, it ended up being a tough weekend because you didn't necessarily get what you were looking for. The games weren't started when they were supposed to start. But if you get a million people for cable for a hockey game in the regular season, you know, for a game that's this early in the year, forget the calendar. I mean, we're only, you know, a, 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 in the teens as far as the games played are concerned. Nah, that, that's pretty good stuff. So uh, kudos to the National Hockey League for what they were able to accomplish the other day uh, in Lake Tahoe. And maybe uh, now you're getting other ideas. Wouldn't it be great to see the Rangers and Islanders play in Central Park? And, you know, I love the creativity from all the fans. I think uh, that that's that's pretty cool. Uh, Penguins with a 3-2 win over the Washington Capitals last night in overtime. So the Penguins just continuing to not want to go away. I, I, don't, I don't believe in this team at all. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But they just continue to impress and finding ways to get things done. Wild game between the Blue Jackets and the Blackhawks. One in a shootout by Chicago, 6-5. to five. Nice bounce back for the Predators. They blanked the Red Wings in Detroit, 2 nothing. But maybe the game of the night last night, and if you stayed up late, you really probably enjoyed this one, even if you don't have a rooting interest. The Oilers, with their win over Vancouver, 4-3. to three. They spot the Canucks a 3 nothing lead. The Oilers come back with a late goal in the first period, three goals in the third to win by the final score of 4-3. to three. So that is a huge win for the Oilers. Bad loss for Vancouver. I know this is a wide-open league, especially that division, especially the Edmonton Oilers. But you got a 3 nothing lead in the first period. you got to find a way to hold on to it and a losing regulation, not even earn a point. And McDavid just continues to just slam 13 goals now. He's got 38 points in 21 games. That's almost two points a game. And we talked about it with EJ. You can kind of dispel, well, look how wide open that division is and all those numbers are going to be skewed. But really, is anybody else putting up the numbers that McDavid and Matthews have been able to put up so far in this regular season? Not even close. Not even close. So great job by those uh, Edmonton Oilers trying to kind of find a way to stay alive in this, this crazy, crazy division and now seeing its first coach get let go. Let's hear from you at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. Steve says, what moves do you see the Rangers making at the trade deadline? Does Mika finally find his rhythm against the Flyers tonight? Well, listen, I don't know when Mika is going to break out. I, I think he's starting to play better, but it hasn't really produced on the score sheet. It better now. If Panarin's going to be out, this team's got no chance unless Mika's advantage gets close to what he was able to do last year. As far as moves, I mean, right now, Heedle's back. He's skating with the team. Actually, so is Truba. No timetable on Truba yet, but uh, it looks like Heedle's close. You're going to be looking for a center. But guess what? We have this conversation every year at the trading deadline. Everybody's looking for a center. You know, so if Heedle is going to be not 100%, if Zabanajad is not going to be able to produce, and Howden kind of is what he is as a fourth-line center, you know, looking for a center is going to be what they're going to try to do. And the, the trading deadline is going to be so very, very difficult, guys, let's be honest, because of the fact that you know, can you deal with any of the seven teams in Canada, right? If the Rangers make a deal, it's not going to be to solidify um, what they can do in the playoffs. It's going to be to try to get into the playoffs. So as long as you've got this like 14-day thing going, 
can you really make a deal and then have to wait two weeks for that player to be available and then kind of technically play shorthanded? I, I think the Rangers are going to have to, I would think, if, if Panarin's going to be out for a long period of time, does Kraftsoff come up and do they give him an opportunity to play? I just don't know what the Rangers can do as far as making a deal at least at this rate until we know what's happening with Panarin. Doskan Sock says, is there a reason why these two national podcasts take so much time talking about the underachieving lifeless Rangers? Who wants to listen to that over and over again? Branch out and discuss the good teams. Hashtag NHL outdoors. Hashtag hockey news team. Okay, so obviously that's somebody that's upset that we talk about the Rangers so much. We always have this conversation on the podcast. This podcast, if you don't know the history, started as a local hockey podcast that delved into the rest of the NHL because I love the NHL. And then ESPN took it nationally, and so I kind of expanded it out. Now it's kind of whatever I want to do. And honestly, I kind of go by the tweets. I ask everybody to tweet at hashtag game misconduct to talk about whatever teams they want to talk about. We got Blackhawk fans. We've got Flyer fans. We got fans from all over. We did a contest a couple of years ago, and it was somebody from Vancouver that won it. So we try to talk about it. We opened the podcast about Montreal and the firing of the coach. We talked about the Lake Tahoe situation on Monday. But if I open it up to the tweets and nine out of every ten tweets are Rangers, then what am I supposed to do, ignore them? There's a lot of Ranger tweets that I ignore because we address it with other tweets. So if rather than complain about what we're not talking about, why don't you ask a question or why don't you comment on somebody else and then we'll talk about them because I'm not afraid. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know everything about the National Hockey League, but I can tell you that I love talking about the sport and I love getting into talking about other teams, but you've got a you've this is very interactive, so you throw out to me what you want to talk about. Now, this is from a couple of days ago, but I didn't get a chance to do it on Monday. It was Richard who asked a very good question. What do we think about the plus-minus stat? Does it have any value in looking at the careers of some of the best? Regular seasons. Kane is a plus-74. Ovechkin's a plus-77. Mario is a 114. Sid's a 174. Yager a 322. Bobby Clark was a 507. Gretzky was a 520. Well, it's just, the plus minus is just a kind of great way to gauge what's happening while you're on the ice. Now, obviously, special teams are taken out of it. So if you're playing five on five, you know, how much are you on for a goal and how much are you on when, when you give up a goal? Is it a perfect science? Absolutely not, because sometimes it has nothing to do with you that you happen to be on the ice when that goal was scored. It's not your fault that your defensive partner or your left winger coughed up the puck. So it's sometimes that you get the minus and it had nothing to do with you. And sometimes you get the plus and it has nothing to do with you. But look at all the players that you just mentioned. Kane, Ovechkin, Mario, Sid, Yager, Clark, Gretzky. All of them on their way to the Hall of Fame or in the Hall of Fame. All of them had great plus minuses because of the fact that they were great goal scorers. And of course, they were probably going to have great plus minuses. I think it's more of a defensive gauge than it is for the forwards. Because I think the defensemen, they're the ones that are there to stop the puck from being scored upon, and they spend so much time on the ice. I don't think it's fair for them either, but I think it's more of an indicator on how well a defenseman is playing than a forward is playing. So take it where you want. Um, it, when we get into the analytics of it, it's a stat that's been there for a long, long time. It's a, it's a gauge. 
but I've seen plenty of players that were minus players that I still think are pretty good and I'd want them on my team. I mean, Ovechkin was a minus player for a long time before he finally got the proper coaching from um, Barry Trotz and became a plus player, but is anybody going to take away the first 10 years of Ovechkin's career when he was a minus player but still was producing tremendously, scoring 50 goals a game? I still think you'd find a way to put that on your roster. So, All right, we're going to be back again on Friday, and we're going to discuss, uh, again, a top five, top five um, – teams of the week and we want to hear from you at don lagreca hashtag game misconduct so rather than complaining about teams that we're not talking about talk about those teams because i love to be able to open it up to the floor and discuss everything that's going on so we'll talk to you again on friday this my friends was the wednesday edition of game misconduct this is the game misconduct podcast with don lagreca